You're listening right. to the Legion of Reason. Okay, it's April 9th, 2017, and welcome to the 200th episode of the Legion of Reason Diversion. Later on in this episode, we get to some juicy stories, including a CBC report which outlines how the Alberta government has been funding unproven experimental health programs on the elderly and homeless. Ayan Hersiali cancels a visit to the land down under because of threats on a person from Islamists. Conrad Black, that uh, narcissistic, uh, what's his name, Nixon apologist, uh, goes after atheism again and predictably fails with his usual condescension. And apparently being a Black Lives Matter zealot can get you anything and anywhere, including an entry into the Ivy League. But before we get to those items, Dorian Bandman, a student at the University of Alberta in Edmonton and known on YouTube as former Reformer King, is suing the educational institution, and we're going to let him tell a story as to why. Welcome to Lord Dorian. (laughs) Hi, Randy. Hi, Christine. Um, So just a quick correction there. I'm not quite suing them yet. What I'm doing, it's it's quite a lengthy process. What it's uh, going on right now is I'm starting up the preliminary investigations to for the lawyer to look into the university's practices and uh, basically find for himself uh, what <laughs> Hi, Randy. Hi, I'm sorry. Um, that starts to second so here. I got to kill this. Uh, I keep forgetting to do that, but it yeah the <laughs> that's the feed story, the did. streaming feed. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot to pause it. I hate that. Uh, uh, we we are absolute professionals here, are we? Absolutely, we completely. Are, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's called yeah. the one man band. I do everything here. Anyway, continue. Um, where was I? Yes. Anyway, so it's just uh, it. What it is is a preliminary investigation. It's not like you just pay a lawyer and uh, right away you're going to sue somebody. That's it's actually a lengthier process and more complicated than uh, I thought. But I, I'm I'm still trying to do things the most diplomatic way possible with the university. I've exhausted all of their internal investigation investigative processes. So I I know something has gone wrong. I have I believe I have enough evidence to prove it. And um, basically, it's just a matter of having a lawyer. Uh, present uh, be able to gather some evidence and present a case to a judge to have the judge turn to the university and say you've uh you've wronged this guy you're going to give him a a do-over with the investigation okay well let's go back to the original incident tell me what sparked this whole uh chain of events all right uh for all bachelor of education students attending the university of alberta they are required to take this one um, mandatory Aboriginal education course. It's uh, known as EDU 211, uh, Aboriginal Education um, Context and Engagement. And um, there is some, there are some valuable lessons within this course uh, that aren't particularly talked about in uh, mainstream education, such as uh, treaties and uh, the the residential schools and whatnot. Uh, I mean, this is stuff I do feel it is important to learn about, especially considering I, my goal was to become a social studies teacher. So, of course, that's something I'm going to end up having to teach, and I'd like to know more about it. However, um, there are some serious problems with how the information is presented to the students. It's done in a very one-sided um, one-sided manner, um, completely devoid of uh, the, the nuance that these issues uh, particularly re- require, such as, uh, you know, it tends to lump the Aboriginal Canadian experience 
into this one monolithic thing. And on top of that, uh, what they are accompanying the course material with is these ironically named anti-racism theories that basically say that only white people have the power to be racist because they are privileged and have power in society. This is based on an old pseudoscience that arose out of, um, you know, that, uh, what was that, that science where people's intelligence was measured based on the shape of their skull? No, you're not you the, phrenology. The caucasoid, yeah, the, the caucasoid, the negroid, mongoloid, and so on and so forth. And in this particular class, about, uh, about almost two-thirds of the way through the semester, um, the lecturer essentially presented uh, this um, this pseudoscience as if it was something that was still widely believed in the mainstream. And, uh, sorry, this is, uh, it's quite an aggravating topic uh, yeah, to talk about. I basically bet, had yeah. my, um, my I, I've been in university for six years now, working on towards that uh, Bachelor of Education degree. And essentially, it's being held ransom until I buy into or at least grit my teeth and pretend to go along with what's being taught in this class to accept that, you know, I'm a um, I'm a horrible, privileged individual because I was born white and so on and so forth um, that, you know, I have to take responsibility for things that happened in the past that if, as if I'm born with some original sin just for my skin color. Um, so. So essentially what they got to in this, in this class is that, yeah, um, they um, because white people at some point in history had systems of oppression and therefore only white people have the power to be racist now. And she, it's interesting. Um, this this professor even presented an instance where she was in the past challenged by another student. Uh, who said, well, what if uh, I went, uh, the students uh, apparently said to her, you know, what if I went to, I think it was Korea, and I was treated badly there for being white. Um, does that, uh, <laughs> like, am, uh, is that, that still racism, yeah. or, or is it something else? And just, it's it's not racism, because uh, apparently Koreans have not had a, um, have not had systems of oppression in the past. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. As a as a history as a history major, I'm, I'm sure I can uh, dig up something contrary to that. Uh, well, the Japanese were certainly not well. very nice to Koreans during World War II. Uh, so, that, oh, I mean, there's uh, definite racism there. I mean, even though they were talking about purely Asian societies. Yeah, if you want to talk about systems of oppression being the the baseline for determining who can and can't be racist, well, you can even look at Japan right now. What they're doing with uh, the Ainu people in the, the north of in. Uh, the island of Hokkaido. So that's uh, that's definitely worth uh, looking at if you want to make such yeah. uh, broad allegations. And it's very infuriating because you, it's unassailable. It's actually unfalsifiable. I mean, you're you you know you've all they do is say, and I've run into this myself. So I've <laughs> I know the infuriating feeling one gets that from dealing with people who buy into it, both people of color and well crackers like us and. It's amazing because it, it, it it's totally unfalsifiable. They've just defined racism conveniently in such a way that only white people well, yeah. can be racist. Not, it's not meant to be scientific. It's postmodern theory. It's anti-science, right? Yeah, Michelle so, basically and, and what it's, it is. You know, yeah, it's not empirically. So when you call it a pseudoscience, I'm kind of like, mm, not quite because, you know, sometimes it's nothing related to a science. To, you know, yeah, it's, no, it's, uh, it's, it's BS. It's there. It's it's I don't know what to call it, like um, exploratory social research. You're being right? really, really, really charitable. <laughs> 
It's art well, yeah. disguising mm-hmm. itself as a science is the yeah. basic way to put it. Well, yeah, they a teach lot it of it's based on postmodernist, postcolonial theory, and, and even some uh, post-structuralism in that... Uh, you know, in order to make these theories work, they have to um, they have to change the definitions of uh, pre pre existing pre established words. Now, you go with uh, you know what the government and the University of Alberta define as racism. Well, <laughs> what they're basically doing would qualify as it. So, in order to get away with what they they're trying to do, they have to change the definition. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's conveniently defined in such a way that that anybody who isn't white can be ra- can be racist without having anything any mud sling uh, you know that's slung at them stick to them. And it, it's just it, it's amazing that de- dealing with these people because one white people actually get into this as well, and so they're enabling racism. And people that uh, people of color who actually believe this, I think, are just flat out racist. I mean, that's it, they don't have any problems blaming everything on on white Canadians. Would that be a fair assessment? Uh, I don't want no. to uh, <laughs> you know, Im- impose no. on uh, on a big uh, broad group of people like that, but uh, it's it's not an uncommon occurrence as I'm, I'm starting to, as I've basically been uh, kind of awoken to in the last two years. I started uh, you know surfing around YouTube and seeing more and more of this stuff happening and people getting away with it. So, yeah. Chris, you want to chime in on that? Oh, I just, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty broad generalization. And I also think that um, as a theory, it, you know, among other competing theories, like it's a lens through which to look at social phenomenon, right? Um, it's, it's, it's essentially a thought experiment. And I think if you don't teach it as, you know, truth, it's, it's, it, it can be interesting to look at things through that lens, right? It has mm. done some productive things through scholarship and that kind of thing, but now it's become sort of a taught, well, as, taught as fact doctrine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's it's taught as fact. It's garbage. Taught, yeah. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. there's other ways to explain social phenomenon. And if, if you're only taught that this is the one way through which to, to look at things, and that's that's a total disservice to you know. Well, the, well this um, professor is so oppressed. Truth. She's a professor. <laughs> not not just um, any professor, but this one seemed the one the one from these lectures in particular. There are other instances with other professors, but this particular professor uh, has a uh, has a rather known reputation for constantly reminding people that uh, they went to Harvard. <laughs> Okay. Now that that's unpack that as you will. Harvard. Um, I I would never be able to get there in my lifetime. Um, certainly not. Uh, you know, with uh, my income and and so on. And yeah. So, and, so I don't so, know. So, it, it it's rather ironic to be told that uh, I'm I'm privileged uh, and uh, that this person's oppressed by a person who has actually God, had more privilege than me in life. Yeah. Well, and it's the I, whole I identity politics reasonably, thing. Not, not quite impoverished, but, I mean, I, I grew up, um, you know, parents working two jobs just to, you know, pay the bills, put food and food on the table, clothes on our backs, and, you know, eventually you know, get into a house. It took them years to do that, but they managed to pull it off. Um, but, again, I, you're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're telling a person who started, you know, Pretty pretty low in the uh, social economic uh, ladder. That he's got more privilege than you. When really it's it's just absolutely disgusting the amount of mental gymnastics it takes for them to push this stuff and well, actually and, believe it themselves. And and there's that further um, level of um, that professor being in a position of power over you too, right? 
Well, yeah, so essentially. There's no excuse to be competing in this, you know, like competing with your students about who's, you know, um, who's more oppressed. It's, it's yeah, completely the, the term was the oppression Olympics. But yes. it is, is yeah. quite I didn't interesting want to, say that, but no, no. to have this professor operating from a position of power where they are not being held responsible for their actions. Well, basically what they've done is they've created that environment, that system of oppression that they claim is a prerequisite in order for someone to be racist and the supposedly oppressed person to be absolved of that label, even if they act the same way. Exactly. So <laughs> it's it's become rather circular by they they basically created the very very situation that they claim calm causes racism. Yeah. But they're the ones benefiting from it. So, so I doesn't matter to me who who is being done to. It's still wrong. I don't care who's in charge, who's being disadvantaged. Uh, this is it, it's quite hypocritical on on the part of uh, both these uh, professors, the intent of this course, and even the university to uh, allow this to go on, considering they do have it written quite clearly in their discrimination, harassment, and duty to accommodate policy, which. Um, is uh, quite conveniently available to be uh, to be read online in the PDF, and you can um, the, the their definitions of racial harassment and and the like. Um, what uh, has basically happened with this course? It falls very much into that category, and it's happened hundreds. And it would it would qual- I believe it would qualify to have happened hundreds of times over for each individual student who has had to take this course since it was made mandatory a few years ago. Hmm. Okay, so, so at this point, oh, sorry, go ahead, Christine. No, I was, I was just gonna. Um, I, I can tell you're uncomfortable talking about this, and there's probably things that you, you, you probably can't talk about, giving the, the legal status of things. Hey. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what those things are yet. I mean, I have, I still have yet to make another, um, sit down for another appointment with, uh, with the lawyer, but uh, that is happening very shortly. But you didn't go to the university first, right? Uh, Yes, I'd gone through basic... Oh, how did this start? You've exhausted all possible channels anyway. Yeah, basically I started with... you know, I, I, I phoned around to try to find out who, where I would start. I ended up talking to people in policy studies um, in the uh, faculty of education. And they, you know, I, I had a bit of a back and forth with them for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, I was, I, was, you know, I was quite naive in thinking that they, they were willing to help me because uh, basically what their investigation was basically made up of was, OK, we've uh, we've listened to what you said and then we've talked to them. And we've decided what you're saying is not credible, even though we have the evidence available to us. Well, are you going to look at it? No. So after that, I decided to, you know, send emails to the dean and vice dean. Um, the dean was uh, very unapproachable. He had me sit down and talk with a, an assistant of his for a few minutes, and then I was sent on my way. And there was no follow up with that. Uh, the, my email exchange with the vice dean. He was apparently away in China at the time. So what he said he would do, he would pass along my my issue to a uh, a trusted uh, trusted associate of his in the department. But he refused to give me their name or allow me to contact and follow up with him myself. So again, it's. There's a lot of uh, shady and clandestine things going on here. Oh, so after around. just a month, after about a month of that, I finally decided, okay, well, let's uh, let's light a fire under them. This this can't keep going on. So I 
I tried contacting various uh, news outlets through either phone, email, social media, and nobody really got back to me except for, unfortunately, just the rebel media. And so um, it was uh, it was quite a decision to to go to go to them rather than try to fish for some other options but you know nothing nothing was biting so i did what i had to do i sat down for an interview with uh sheila gun reach put me in front of a camera i told uh i told my side of the story and about a week or two later they released a, a um a video on the the subject and then the next day they released yet another drawing attention to what's going on there and unfortunately what they ended up doing was uh painting as i expected they they painted it as sort of uh this uh left versus right dichotomy when really it's just no i just want the university to you know deliver on the rules that every student is supposed to be guaranteed the protection of so after that happened i emailed the dean vice dean and the person in policy studies i talked to to let them know what i've done that uh i'd uh, i'd gone to the media specifically the the rebel and this is what they've turned up uh, some recordings got out all sorts of other material from the course now are you going to hear me out and what they did after that they passed me on to this um office of uh, human rights and safe disclosure on campus so okay, I want I still wanted the diplomatic option. I didn't want to, you know, drag the university through the mud if I could help it. So I went through this and this is a very, very lengthy process going over months. And essentially what happened was um they, again once again, they took the word of the professors over mine, despite the availability of evidence to them. Well, what what was the evidence? Just just out of curiosity, um, the um, the university themselves, from my knowledge and what I've uh, what I have in writing from my emails, uh, they do have the recordings of the lectures on hand themselves. They can go and look at it. Um, they can go look through uh, the course material and everything. <sighs> and uh, they have uh, they have chosen not to do that. They it's it's pretty clear what what's been going on in this class. I mean recordings got leaked anyways so people were able to hear little whatever little bits and pieces that the the rebel was willing to put in their report um now after going through this process with uh, the office of human rights safe disclosure yeah they eventually yeah they put they got me going in the right direction to going through the the provost's office and all this stuff um and eventually yeah it was just the same deal um we are taking the professor's word over yours we're not going to look at your evidence um and then as well in one of the other avenues that i was doing as part of this uh this uh complaint process um one of the people i was in contact with in the uh provost's office forgot it forgot in quotes uh, to reply to an, uh, an important email to me and only replied to me after the period had elapsed before uh, I could know I was no longer allowed to make my complaint. <laughs> wow. So they, they basically, I, I had sent them an email a month before they finally got back to me, you know, asking for, you know, some help with how, uh, how I'm writing, supposed to write up uh, um, this complaint and, and so on, what uh, formats and all that. And yeah, they, 
they didn't get back to me for about a month later and they said that oops sorry i was in my drafts box but i just forgot to click send and i have that email so i don't know if they how are they supposed to explain that that is absolutely unacceptable well, the so, onus is on them to inform you. I mean, it, that's that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I asked for an extension based on that uh, slip up, and I didn't get it. Huh. Wow. So, from basically, from everything I, I've experienced with that, I am under the impression that there is uh, an active attempt to cover up what's gone on here because i know it's going to be pretty damaging to the university. You know, if uh, they admit that something wrong was done to me, then they basically have to admit that something was done wrong to every student who has had to take that course. Um, I've been warned about uh, some of these, uh, the professors in this class, uh, like up about two years before I had to attend the class myself. So my colleagues have attended before me and yeah, here are the professors. This is what they're going to say. And at the time when I originally heard this, I was naive. I didn't think it could be that bad. And then eventually, um, I got there, and it was exactly as I had been uh, as been told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this kind of thing has been going so, on all over North America and campuses, and in Britain as I don't know, maybe even farther than that. And it's this postmodernist garbage that is, you know, being taught as as a, some model of reality that I, I don't know if it ever was a good model of reality. Uh, Chris and I would probably have a, a good argument over that, but uh, at one time, you no, know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I would say that to to, to have <laughs> the availability of several lenses through which to look through social phenomenon, of which that might be one that might highlight certain aspects of you know social phenomenon, is fine. I'm fine with that. But like you like you say, when it's taught as truth, yeah. and you're not allowed to question it or criticize it, that's bullshit. Oh, you got to right? tell people what what. The professor told you when you uh, spoke up. Oh, this was uh, this was at the beginning of the class. Uh, yeah. This was before that particular lecture where they were um, talking about uh, how only white people can be racist. Well, um, you know, I I was just going about this class rather rather normally. I didn't get the impression anything wrong was going to happen. Um, by the time we got to the the second, uh, I believe it was the second lecture, I had uh, already done two written assignments for this course. You know, ever after every every lecture or so, you're supposed to turn in this um, one or two page paper, uh, ref- you know, giving your own reflections on what was talked about uh, in the lectures and the material and so on. And one of the topics was identity. What is that supposed to mean to people? And you know, I gave my thoughts. I mean, I, I you know talked about yes uh, that uh, there's a lot of people that they they do take these these characteristics such as you know um, skin color, religion, culture. Um, even political belief or whatever, what have you. And they use that as a way of identifying themselves and having that, you know, be a major part of who they are. Um, me personally, like I wrote in that thing, um, I don't particularly care about any of that stuff. I'm more concerned with how people act. I cite it even, uh, I'm pretty sure I even uh, drew a quote from uh, Martin Luther King, or it was basically just echoing his sentiments, you know, judge people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin, you know, that, uh, that lovely stuff. Um, now, and as I'm coming out of this uh, second lecture, my seminar leader, my, my weekly seminar leader, the, the lecturer is different every week. Um, my seminar leader cor- um, stops me as I'm leaving the lecture hall, and she tells me that she has a problem with my writing assignments. 
that she thinks I'm not ready to be a teacher and that what I've said is very problematic. Well, I've asked her to back that up. She wasn't able to do that. I, I found it rather hilarious. I, I believe I even laughed at her at the in that instance. Good. But <laughs> what was particularly bad about this was she had done this out in the open. Rather than go, th- um, according to protocol, where you, you ask to Take talk to side, a student yeah. in private if you have a, a problem with their, their work or their behavior, um, she didn't do that. She did this right out in the open, and other students were trying to chime in as uh, this, uh, this seminar leader was uh, trying to talk to me. And uh, I ha- you know, at least two people we're trying to, you know, uh, we're, we're under the impression I must have said something absolutely racist. I mean, why else would she be, you know, taking you aside out in public like this? Well, no, show me, show me what I did wrong. You know, I haven't said anything racist. I haven't done anything illegal here. You know, what what have I done? I haven't said anything mean. You know, all all your by saying what it's it's problematic. All you basically told me is you don't like what I've said. Yep. That's it. Doesn't amount to anything. Yeah, so I, exactly. That basically set the set the tone for the the rest of the course. I mean, I, I did uh, I did make a complaint against my seminar leader right after that, and I talked to some people higher up in the course, but you know, the it, it still went went on, but in a more more reserved fashion. You know, she she was less out in the open with it, but whenever I present a challenge to something that was being said in the seminar or lecture, like uh when um when we were talking about uh Aboriginal uh, treaties, um, you know, they were I basically what I did, because I, I had already read Treaty Six and the I, I I just absolutely had to respond to something this seminar leader said, uh, claiming that um, you know the the Queen Elizabeth II blockade a couple of years ago during I don't know more by the Papas Chase Band, she claimed it was a peaceful protest. Okay, um, there are videos out there that say otherwise. They were blocking the highway, preventing people from from uh, passing through, even, you know, getting right on people's uh, vehicles, uh, trying to stop them. And I do recall seeing this. There was even uh, one instance caught on video of uh, a guy at uh, decided to bring a sign and counter protest this blockade and him being threatened by uh, by members of the band. That was uh, originally on the Sun News Network site, I remember. But uh, now that that's uh, gone down, I can't find that video anymore. So if anybody's listening and can find that, please send it to me. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, uh, I brought up in class, uh, I took an actual uh, article from Treaty 6 and how it stated that, you know, all you know um, non-Aboriginals are to be afforded, you know, um, peaceful passage through Treaty 6 land, you know, unmolested, unimpeded and so on and so forth. And OK, I presented the argument that, you know, if this... Uh, this Aboriginal band, this you know, if you know anything about the Papas Chase band, they're they're supposedly they they're supposed to have treaty rights, they say, but um suppose they're yeah, they, they don't exactly have any land to their name. Uh now it's a complicated thing. I can't comment on uh I can't make a really educated comment on the history behind that, but from what I can tell, as far as the the courts are concerned, they don't have any more. They don't have land. So, if this guy, if this uh, this guy's going to compl- uh, claim that he's got uh, treaty rights, then he should uh, he should adhere to the treaty. I presented that argument in class, and <laughs> rather than challenge me in class. Um, she sends out a um, an email to my entire seminar section, um, you know, saying, well, 
once again reaffirming that it was a peaceful protest and that if you want to know more go talk to this chief this chief that organized this blockade and get his side of the story well okay well of course he's going to tell you he's done nothing wrong he's entitled to the land i'm you know that's what do you expect However, there's video out there saying, well, no, this wasn't exactly, you know, a peaceful protest where people were allowed to allowed to, you know, pass without uh, without being held up for whatever reason. Uh, I, I just just so many hypocrisies with this class that I just had to keep pointing them out. Well, that's what happens when the narrative I, is is false and you have to prop it up. Well, yeah, they, they it's were based on some truths, but they were relying on. A lot of the the students' ignorance of uh, Aboriginal um, issues in Canada. Now, me, um, I kind of lucked out. I had uh, I had some rather rather beneficial and ed- educational experiences in uh, elementary school. You know, um, talking about a lot of this stuff as early as the the fourth grade, and even extended into uh, my junior high and high school. So. I was a little more well versed with uh, these issues than the rest of my class. I was the only person in my my seminar section that you know knew um, which uh, treaty the land of the that the University of Alberta is on was covered under, and um, which uh, band it uh, originally belonged to, and so on. So I knew all this stuff: Treaty Six, you know, Papa's Chase Band, and so on. But it's yeah. I'm not sure how else to put it. They're relying on people's ignorance to guilt them into these uh, these positions. Now, <laughs> given that I knew a little more, I guess this was harder to do. Um, there's a lot of uh, there was a lot of positive reinforcement given by the uh, professors and uh, seminar leaders. If you you know, um, wrote in your reflections that uh, you know all this uh, sympathetic stuff, and I even I even tested the waters a little bit. I after the initial incidences uh, with uh, my my responses being problematic um i decided uh later little you know a few responses later i would write a very sympathetic piece without completely compromising myself and then just see what would happen you know um never mind what previous uh, assertions in my reflections um, i could back up uh, everything i said now those were always given grades of uh zero out of two you were just basically graded on these assignments you get two out of two if it was if it was basically the most sympathetic thing they'd ever read um, or, you know, one, if it's good, you're getting there, but not quite enough. And zero, if you're, you're, you're basically challenging, uh, challenging the material. And uh, that's not official, but that's basically, uh, what I noticed with myself and, uh, other classmates, uh, in that class. But unfortunately, nobody else is uh, willing to come forward. I'm not the only one who's noticed this going on. Um, but everybody is being too scared to come forward. They're worried that, you know, it'll affect their ability to graduate, to complete their practicum, or even get a job in the uh, in the public school system because they they spoke out on this. They might get uh, mislabeled as a racist or something, never mind having never done anything racist in their lives. So it... The, the course really monopolizes on people's uh, fear and ignorance. What are what are the next steps now? You've, you've exhausted all of uh, the avenues that you know of for within the university system. Now you've uh, you've uh, sought the services of a lawyer. Yes. And what, um, are you, what are your next steps, or can you actually talk about that? Um, well, basically, what this is doing is just getting. Uh, Getting a judge to recognize, okay, yeah, something something's gone amiss here. You can the university, you have to give this guy another chance and do things right, or you know that otherwise um, I will have to turn it into an expensive lawsuit, and that that I want to avoid. I mean, I don't want to 
damp you know cause any collateral damage to the university i mean there's there's really good people that work there. there the university does do good work um but i don't want to be damaged because you know one one group of uh people within a faculty decided to uh you know act beyond uh, beyond what they were allowed or uh, think themselves above the rules. Is this kind of thing entrenched anywhere else in, in the University of Alberta? Uh, um, nothing that I have particularly had experience with. Um, I've heard in other departments, but I can't, I, I can't really comment on that because um, I haven't seen or experienced it, so... But this is this is particularly the big one. Um, people, students have been complaining about this course and even some of the same professors over and over again for years. You can go back in uh, like the um, on the University of Alberta Confessions uh, Facebook page and you can pull up all sorts of stuff on this course. You know, people mm -hmm. are making anonymous complaints on there. Rate or responding professor? to a complaint about it, and you'll, you'll uh, yeah, you can, you can go on rate my professor and uh, some of the stories uh, line up with some of these uh, profs. Yeah. So nice. there, there's a there is a lot of consistency with what's uh, what's being said about this course. But again, nobody's uh, speaking up about it. Yeah, not everybody's not, afraid of backlash right, now. Yeah. Me, I'm That's amazing that not not anybody. Hey, nobody's nobody at all has come forward from past classes. It's nope. So. Yeah. Wow. You know, like they'll they'll talk to me in private, but yeah. as soon as I ask them to, if they're willing to, you know, go public about it, they disappear. Mm. So I can't really blame them either. It's uh, uh, it, it it's a, it's a little dis disheartening. Yeah, I don't blame them either. I mean, that's they 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 risk losing a lot if uh, things go wrong, or whatever kind of uh, social backlash. Uh, you know, if they, they dare speak up on something and then get uh, have it misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. You have a GoFundMe page as well. Uh, I do. I Thanks to, uh, you know, I was, well, it was going to be an expensive uh, thing to hire a lawyer. I, you know, I, being a, on student loans myself, um, you know, I wasn't uh, able to pay for it all myself. Um, I couldn't get any, uh, you know, legal assistance through... Uh, various uh various organizations so in order to stand up for myself and do you know right this uh this wrong um i basically had to pay out the nose so uh, on the um advice of some friends and their encouragement they've uh you know they uh they told me set up a GoFundMe. Um, they'll they'll help share it and see what happens and eventually uh you know about a month after posting the thing it got picked up by uh, by some uh, larger YouTubers, uh, particularly um, Kraut and T, and he mirrored uh, the original video talking about the GoFundMe by uh, Liz Reptile, who also happens to be a friend of mine. And once Kraut shared his uh, shared his mirror of the video, within two days, I had jumped from uh, about nine hundred dollars to getting to the three thousand five hundred dollar goal just for the initial initial investigation from the lawyer so that was that that, that was quite shocking and e even humbling to know that uh people like abs complete strangers uh actually you know cared about this stuff and were willing to, to hear my story well i so. think we have to start standing up and pushing back i mean saying no this is not really acceptable yeah, because what well, they're I doing mean, in I'm, that class is they're all they're doing is rewarding you for for agreeing with them as opposed to marking you on how well you can form an argument exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah which is the way it's supposed to be doing well yeah. and what this course is doing i mean with the way they're presenting the information actually what it's there are some students who are coming out of there 
with some very skewed and views of aboriginals in in canada they're basically coming out of this course wow this is what people uh this is what they they think of me just for you know the uh the color of my skin then what's the point it's just it's going to keep the cycle going of uh this agreed yeah racial tension teachers yeah. not being able to reach their uh reach aboriginal students or keeping their racial tension going um it's it's really quite sad i mean the there are some some good people going through this program, and they're they're going to come out of this either ill-equipped or unwilling to help these students because they've had such a bad experience with this course. Some have even gone as far as uh, dropping out of the ed program altogether, um, you know, because they didn't they're they don't want to have to deal with this or be treated this way. Um, you know, I myself I've even had to um, move to a a different faculty. I'm just working on a a basic. Um, history major right now um because there's no way i can get my bachelor of ed uh so long as this course exists at the u of a i would have to either go out of province or uh bow to bow to these professors and uh just go along with what they do but then again because i've spoken up publicly on this i really don't think i'm gonna have much of a chance in that class <laughs> well th if you're faking it they're gonna figure that out pretty quickly i'm sure well you said you, you can't do it out of province so does that mean there's an equivalent at, at like the U of C and MRU and um, um, uh, I know Lethbridge and stuff like that. I have heard that there are equivalents at other universities in uh, in Canada. Um, I believe this uh, program, this particular course, started out of the University of Regina. Okay. I'm uh, I'm doing uh, some some research on it and uh, on some of the staff, and I'm turning up some uh, some interesting stuff. Not nothing I can talk about just yet, but I'm. I'm compi compiling some uh, rather intriguing data that, you know, hopefully I can uh, turn into something and uh, and share with everybody uh, at a later date. But uh, first, rather, you know, rather than doing muckery, I want to see what uh, goes on with the lawyer first. Again, I just I, I want the diplomatic route. I don't want to do any damage here. Um, I'd like to see this this cor course reformed because I do see some value in it, but definitely not in its current state um you know it's it's going to take a few years before something like this could be rolled out as uh you know as, as a mandatory component of the uh the BED program interesting yeah because i can see like a lot of value um you know again i'm, I'm gonna say you know looking through a particular theoretical lens um you know for example history they, they say was written in the voice of you know white men and and when you can bring to bear voices from other cultures and and uh, you know make make a more robust case to make history more accurate, I think that's a wonderful thing. And it sounds like the course has the potential to to you know really highlight positive things about that type of scholarship, right? Right. I wouldn't but say accurate. I'd say more diverse. Well, yeah. It's just going to go. Maybe with the a buzzwords. bit of both. A bit of both, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, let's face it. You know, when when history is written in a dominant voice, there's lies and and you know to have contributing empirical evidence. It doesn't mean the dominant voice from is wrong. That dominant, no, but it doesn't mean that it should be the only narrative, right? And and that, you know, a good set of point. narratives can cooperate and and um, make a more robust case to understanding history, including you know empirically and and uh, I guess philosophically, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but when it's taught as the only way to look at it, that's the problem. I think, anyway, that's my two cents. Well, that's... You know, like, would, would you agree, Dorian, that there's been, you know, insightful scholarship from, you know, 
First Nations perspective that we would otherwise not have the richness of understanding that we have. I think that's a fair thing to say about that kind of a theoretical approach, right? Um, would, you, would you think that's fair? Uh, that's when kind it's of fine. a it's kind of a mixed bag, really. I'm I'm not the most well equipped to comment on uh, the representation of uh, Aboriginal history. I mean, I do think there's a lot being left out, but unfortunately, a lot of what we have to work with in terms of uh, Aboriginal history from the Aboriginal perspective is oral histories. Yes. And unfortunately, those aren't exactly the most reliable all the times because, you know, they can be skewed um, from person to person or something gets uh, lost as it gets passed down. It's a uh, it's not something you can measure as uh, empirically as you could with, uh, you know, written histories. You can, with a written history, yeah, you can compare and contra contrast all these viewpoints and um, get to the truth, and then pull up all these uh, all the different primary sources that uh, back up uh, what's uh, being said. But with uh, a lot of Aboriginal history, you you can't do that. The sources are not available outside of oral history. Okay, I, I guess I'm thinking, you know, things like. Um... More recent history and stuff like that, which oh. you know co collaborate certain right, like the. Well, you see, yeah, you, you, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, you have to. You it's have not to work just with one a lot field. More. You have yeah. to work with a lot more in order to really paint uh, a clearer picture with uh, with Aboriginal history. Mm -hmm. You can't just, uh, you know, yeah. Yes, and uh, I, I think there's a place where that sort of scholarship can add, can highlight things that maybe more traditional scholarship. Hadn't. Absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah. delving more into uh, a lot of uh, historiographical theory these days. I'm just, I took a class last semester and it got me uh, very, very interested in it. Uh, and thankfully in this class, I lucked out with uh, a fantastic professor that allowed dis uh, so much discussion and dissenting viewpoints on uh, some of these uh, historical theories and uh, and lenses which uh, they um, they presented in class, and it was absolutely fantastic. So yeah, that's um, as it should be, right? Hoping to work m more with that as I understand it more. I'm not. I'm certainly nowhere near an expert on it. I mean, it's only something I picked up uh, a semester ago, but. Yeah, but the it's, general uh, principle of being able to criticize theories and you know learn more than one perspective is, you know. Well, it was um, also quite comforting to look be able to analyze all these different perspectives when in a lot of my previous uh most not all hashtag not all but not <laughs> most of my previous uh history classes uh they've uh they've been very limited in their their viewpoints uh, and how they some of the, the material looked at history it's all usually based on um some sort of uh marxist or especially in cases of uh Canadian history, it's this uh, post-colonial lens, and uh, that's that's quite interesting. I'm actually uh, in the midst of uh, writing a paper on that uh, this uh, this very evening. Oops. Uh, you said you couldn't stay too long. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here we are an hour later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the conversation's interesting enough. I'm, I'm sure I can just pull an all-nighter on this paper <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did a few of those in my time. Yeah, that was a little while ago, though. But, uh, oh, thanks Thanks for sharing that story. That That's, uh, yeah, I understand your your uh, frustration. Uh, I've, like, as I've said, my, my first uh, uh, introduction to this kind of thing was on Facebook with Nate Phelps and we were speaking with somebody and they gave us that whole racism is equal to prejudice plus power and we were both like how is that not racist um, <laughs> it, it, it 
that's that's the infuriating thing. It's like, yeah, I can't be racist because yeah, no, no, you, you can't trust me <laughs> because you are right now. But uh, it's it's uh, well, you can't be if you change the definition. Well, exactly, and that's that's you know how convenient is that, right? You know, I understand where Absolutely. this came from. It came from a model of of racial uh, relations in in American society that hasn't really been true for a very long time. And, you know, you've got to remember that, you know, institutions are not white. They're, you know, yes, just from demographics, you would predict that they would be largely uh, composed of white people. But there are lots of uh, black police officers, black judges, black teachers, you name it. It's not quite as clear cut as they make. They may want you to think. And this definition goes to that, that it keeps it this this myth of this clear cut thing that if you're white, you're obvious, you're you're, you're an evil person. I mean, it, it's amazing that people don't recognize how divisive this kind of thing is. Um, it, it just what do you do? But you know, I, I did come up with the idea. I talked about this with you two a little while ago with. Um, uh, what was the example that I gave? I'm trying to remember this now. To come up with a completely um, racist example uh, that I could be can't be racist because I'm white, and just show them by example how how infuriating that is and how ridiculous. Uh, and by not I guess not analogy, but by switching the roles, make make some kind of an exactly emotional connection. This, but that's uh, exactly yeah, I'm, I'm just trying these... to find uh, that, uh, that. Oh yeah, and that's in the me. Facebook. Yeah. So sorry, Chris. What was that? <laughs> Well, that was that was a response to you know racism to to come up with this kind of scholarship and and contemplate it. So you're you're kind of arguing back what. Well, unfortunately, it became racist. <laughs> right. You know. You know it. it well, I'm yeah, just trying to create a. An, I'm just a, saying your argument's not going to work because it's going to fall on deaf ears. Yeah. Well, right? it already is. You got to try something else, right? Yeah. I mean, it, but, it's already. But I don't think that's anything new or different. That's all. Well, it's it's exactly the. Well, I don't know, no. because you know what? Because they're going to feel what I feel when they use this racist definition of racism. And But the whole point is that they've already felt that. Now it's your turn, you see. That's what I'm trying to no, say. No, they haven't. They haven't felt it at all. Well, yeah, racial oppression and, and, you know, being the target of racism. Yes, of course they have. That's why they're... That's you know, not true. That, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, that... A lot of white people <laughs> use this definition, and I don't think they've experienced racism. And it does. I would also say so. What no, if I'll agree with you there. And also, well, I, I, you know, um, do they think that they're speaking on behalf of everybody? That, that that's a problem too. Is a lot oh, of times yeah. you get oh, you better people that aren't are. even a part of that group, and they're purporting to speak on behalf of that group. You better and, believe and, they're doing that. Yeah, you yeah. Better exactly. believe it. Yeah, yeah. They are, it's yeah. of course it's virtue signaling, but um, yeah, of the worst sort. Uh, but that that's that's that may be the group that it is going to be the most effective. I don't know. It's just another tool. I'm trying to figure it, figure out how to deal with it. <laughs> Not going to work. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll try. We'll do an experiment. No bottle of JW on this. Uh, <laughs> <one>. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how far, how far we should really take the measures to combat this thing. Me, personally, all I, I, I'm just sticking to, you know, using pre-existing rules within a lot of these universities. Um, if you... Whoever's listening, if you do have a university that's teaching a course like this, that's saying you know, only only white people can be racist, or all men are rapists, or some inc- incredibly one-sided some other uh, identity politics thing like bullshit. that, yeah. and you're not uh, given an opportunity to present a counter argument to it, um, go into your university's own uh, rules and codes of conduct, and then hold them to account. You know, yeah, you may end up, uh, you know. 
having to take them to, through uh, the legal system like I'm unfortunately having to do. But, you know, the, there is there is a way to fight back without stooping to their level. Yeah, good point. Uh, do you want to stick around for a few minutes and we'll talk about some of these other stories? Um, or are you I... really pressed for time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do actually have to run. I need uh, I need to oh. grab some uh, some food and continue on with uh, with this paper. I've got another uh, three thousand words to churn out by uh, six o'clock uh, tomorrow evening. Do you, so. do you mind if we take like a five minute break or so, Randy? Um, well, kind of streaming right now, but uh, I guess nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, mind, uh, sure. Okay. Well, well. Thank you, Dorian. Uh, that's okay. uh, yeah. Well, hopefully, we'll hear from you again when uh, something is resolved. Uh, hopefully, something's resolved. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep people uh, updated. I mean, as I uh, oh, good, said you. in one of my last uh, updates on the GoFundMe, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as uh, the uh, the lawyers paid for, I'll be posting a receipt so everybody knows where the money went and it went to what they. Uh, what it was intended oh, good for. Idea. Yep. And we'll yep. post a link to the GoFundMe campaign here, Randy? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've already, I've already met the goal, the, but yeah. if people want to read my my story at length, uh, they can they can do so there. Yeah, I know. Uh, sorry, um, you're going to do something with any excess money? You remind me of us. Remind us of what the, that is. You're oh, going to do with any well, money if, above uh, and beyond? If what I was going to do, if it ended up going to court, and uh, you know there were any uh, damages received um, to me from the university, then what I would be—I don't intend on uh, keeping a lot of that. Um, I was going to send uh, a portion of that to the Canadian Association for Equalities uh, Edmonton branch. Um, they had uh, previously done some uh, some work uh, regarding raising uh, awareness for uh, the um, missing and murdered Aboriginal men in uh, Canada and how that uh, was not being included in the uh, the government's uh, inquiry these last couple of years and uh, they put on uh, a bit of a demonstration um, in uh, in Edmonton where they hung uh, neckties on the the high level bridge and this um, this is in regards to a um, something that was started in uh, in Winnipeg by a um, a mother who had uh, lost her son, and to draw awareness to missing and murdered Aboriginal men, she started hanging neckties, and they they caught on to this. And I, I thought it, I thought it was such a good idea. So, if uh, they're going to actually be helping, you know, uh, Aboriginal people in Canada, absolutely, and uh, you know, see if I can help them out because uh, this uh, course uh, certainly isn't doing that job. <laughs> well, That's uh, awesome. Thank you again, Darian, and uh, or Dorian. Sorry, I uh, hope that. Uh, your paper goes well. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. We'll we'll talk again soon. Yes, we will. Thanks and stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Legion of Reason coming to you from Calgary, Canada. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider reviewing us on iTunes. Music was provided by Dean Morrison and Graham Hill and used with permission.